Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the youngest teams in the league and in the Eastern Conference, the Chicago Bulls. So I'm here today with Chance Collins. And Chance, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Nick, man. How are you doing? Good to talk to you. I'm doing all right. Doing all right. It's definitely been a fun early season for my team. And let's start out by talking about the main thing that our two teams have in common this season, namely Zach Levine. When the Kings signed him to that four-year, $78 million offer sheet, I was very concerned about his ability to fully come back from his ACL injury. I was concerned about his secondary skills outside of his scoring. And I've been pleasantly surprised by how incredibly wrong I've been so far this season. He's been an excellent ad for the Bulls, but what have you seen out of Zach Levine so far? Well, I think the, uh, a lot of everything that you just said, I mean, I was worried whenever whenever the Kings, you talk about your team, whenever the Kings went to sign that and then the Bulls immediately did what, and in hindsight, what all fans and what a lot of NBA, you know, Twitter, like, all oh, the Bulls are going to Bulls. And yeah, we'll go ahead and match that. And I was worried with what you said, the injury, the progression. Is he going to have the same liftoff? Is he going to have the same explosiveness? Like, can this guy be where he was excelling to when he was at Minnesota before the ACL tear? So all those things ran through my head and kind of smack dab in the face, like what you're just like what you just uh, expressed that everybody is kind of looking at now. You look at him across the board; he's one of the top guards in the league at his position right now. And yes, he's come back, and he's come back with a vengeance, and he's just. He's amazing me, and now, yeah, I'm sitting here with putting my foot in my mouth, and yeah, you know, good job to the front office for finally getting something right, but who would have thought this, looking at where Zach Levine was, sits out most of last year, doesn't come back till the second half of the season, and just, you didn't expect this coming, but now it looks like he's kind of getting back to where he was. And at this point in the season, he's just to take over 25 points a game, and right around league average efficiency, but that's also with three pretty poor games efficiency-wise in his last three. I mean, he's scoring at a primary option level with pretty solid efficiency for someone scoring that many points per game. And it's especially impressive given that he is, at this point, so much better offensively than the rest of the Bulls team around him that he's getting all of the defensive attention and he's still doing as well as he has been. Yeah, uh, he's he's getting all the, the double teams because, like you say, he, he's the best thing on that team. He is the star, and he's handled very well. I mean, for – and he talked about this in the offseason, you know, doing the things that he had, had to do to become a leader on this team, to get to the superstar level uh, – in the league, you know, with the rest of the, you know, the Russell Westbrooks and the LeBrons. I mean, he, he, he wants to be in those conversations. So, uh, first off, you know, through 16 games, uh, he is the man. And like, like what you said, like, this is one of his best years, uh, as far as shooting a three ball, he's, he's gotten a little better in that department somewhat. And just like getting back to the basket, being aggressive, getting to the free throw line, he's getting to the free throw line exceptionally well, uh, getting at least about somewhere around seven to eight attempts per game. So he's really, you know, making making those points count and really getting to the basket. And uh, just the aggressiveness, uh, the the cutting. Like, I was worried about, no, he'd still be able to, like I said, be explosive, be able to cut like he was. Like, use his speed. He's one of the fastest guys in the NBA. 
So uh, from all accounts so far, very excited with what he's doing, and he's handled it well. He's handling the low, and he's and he's handling being the the go to guy on this young Chicago Bulls team, especially with the absence of Markinen right now, and uh, you know just trying to guide some of these other young guys on the team. I think it's also interesting that he's doing as well as he has been, despite you mentioned Lowry Markinen being out. I think it's almost more telling that he's been doing this well with Chris Dunn out, and I think that's where the experiment that Minnesota tried running him at point guard, it didn't work that well while he was in Minnesota, but I think those ball handling skills that he picked up when he was sort of forced to be a point guard rather than more of a wing player, as I think his ultimate NBA destiny is, I think his time running the point in Minnesota, even if he's never going to be a full-time point guard, I think it's certainly helpful when he's had to have the ball in his hands more frequently this season. Now his turnover rate has been pretty high, but I think, again, that's more of a facet of him being the primary focus of defenses every single night. And not only the primary focus, but in some ways the secondary focus as well. Yeah, uh, his, uh, his, his usage rate is one up. And like we know this, you know, usage rate goes up. Uh, a little bit more turnovers are are obviously going going to be noticeable on the stat sheet. And like you said, though, he's really um, accepted this role as as being the facilitator, the point guard in, in the absence of Dunn. Something that he struggled with last season when he came back first on. It was it was new to him that he was going to have to take care of a lot of the ball handling uh, duties, and you know. Fred Hoiberg put that on him up front, so he's really handled that well. He's he's even gotten more comfortable with it this season, and it shows. I mean, you you don't get to where he's at right now, and although he, you know he's he's got the backpack and he's got everybody in it, at the same time he's playing some good basketball. Let's move on from talking about the Zach Levine experience to the other major part of the Bulls offseason, which was their draft and rookie signings and. I honestly don't think it's that hard to make the case that the Bulls got the best value out of their rookies so far through the first 15 or so games. And maybe this will change over the course of the season, but Wendell Carter has certainly looked better than his draft slot. It's really hard to find what he doesn't do well at this point. He hasn't made that many three-pointers. He's shooting 28% right now on about one attempt per game, but... The shots looked a lot better than that percentage, and beyond that, he does basically anything you could ask for out of a modern big man. Yeah, uh, the thing that people wondered, I guess, you know, the experts that talked about uh, his time at Duke was, you know, lateral quickness, and he showed that he can he can move uh, move laterally very well in the NBA, uh, like what you talked about. He's an exceptional rebounder. He's averaging about seven, I think, seven point four rebounds right now. Um, he, um, he gets his hands, he's always around the rim. He's, uh, he's getting almost two blocks a game, something that exceptionally well for a rookie, you know, if you can't make your impact sometimes in scoring and, uh, for, for these first year guys, just to be out there and to kind of cement a role, he's the best defender, probably. I want to say the best, especially the best, uh, best defending big man that the bulls have right now. And, his skills are so so many strides ahead when it comes to you know the rebounding and uh, his his defense and that you know that's that's a lot of effort and a lot of hustle but he's he's doing well too you know averaging eleven point three points a game like I said seven point four rebounds uh, he's shooting about forty seven percent from the field 
Uh, free throw percentage, not too bad, right around 80%. So that's that's pretty good. Um, big man for, you know, first-year guy. You'd like to see that go up a little bit more, but that's pretty good right now. And just um, just where he's at as far as other rookies in the league, he's, he's doing a really good job, probably defensive rookie of the year when you compare him to a lot of other guys right now. But the future is bright for the Bulls when you look at Wendell Carter. Definitely somebody that – I saw a little bit of his games at Duke, but he was overshadowed by by guys that that they had there. So you didn't see see too much of him. But at the same time, uh, he's he's going to be something good. And it looks like he was definitely a diamond in the rough that the Bulls uh, they they actually got that one right too, which is surprising. Garpax they they got that one right though too. It's interesting because I think one of the biggest reasons for drafting Carter is because of how theoretically he's such an excellent fit alongside Lowry Markkinen, but he's already looked good even without pairing him with Lowry. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how the two of them fit together because one of my biggest concerns about Carter heading into this season was that I wasn't sure he would be able to be a really solid rim protector right away. But since he has been, I think the Bulls should feel much more comfortable with playing the two of them together as opposed to trying to slot both of them in at the four and sort of giving the five position to some other more traditional big man. Yeah, I think they're gonna they're gonna play uh, pretty pretty well together. There was some some skepticism out there, but like what you said as far as uh, the rim protection, but he's shown that he can do that. I mean, he, he's averaging two blocks a game and. Uh, we saw it in the summer league, and then you're seeing it now through the games he's played. So it kind of looks like they'll be able to operate on that high-low. I think that where Lauer definitely struggles on defense, that's where Wendell Carter is definitely excelling. Like, he's one of the top three defenders on this team already. So, yeah, it seems like it's going to be a pretty good match. And, you know, we know Lauer's going to be – he's going to expand the floor more – doing a lot of cutting baseline stuff, but he's going to be out around that 3-2 and, and a lot of spot-ups. So uh, for the most part, haven't seen it yet, but I'd like to think that they're going to mesh pretty well. The other Bulls' first-round pick this year, Chandler Hutchison, has played sort of a minimal role so far this season. His three-point shooting has not quite been where I expected it to be. But other than that, he's been a solid contributor on the wing, and I think he can be a solid rotation player for the next decade or so. Yeah, I like Hutchison. Uh, like what you said, I uh, thought his shot was going to be a little bit better, but he hasn't been awful, uh, only in minimal minutes so far. But he's he's done pretty good. Uh, I like him as, as far as, as long as he gets developed properly. And – you know, in this in this hoy ball system, I, I didn't get to see much of him out of college, so I'm, I don't, I don't know that much about him. But just from everything that you know, going into the season and uh, whenever he was drafted, um, I mean, he looks like he's on the right path. It, it's tough though with these young guys uh, trying to make it not necessarily trying to make a name for themselves and adapting to the league when they come into a team like the Bulls, who's not necessarily on the tank, uh, but just are still figuring it out at the same time. But you're right, uh, his three-point percentage could be a lot better. Uh, he's a 21% three-ball uh, three, three man right now. Uh, he's, he's aggressive in the – he gets in the paint, gets rebounds. Doesn't turn the ball over too much. And, um, and like I said, uh, 
he gets his hands out there. Uh, he's active in the passing lanes. Got a couple steals on the season for as many minutes he's played. He's got 11 steals on the season, only averaging about uh, 20 a night. So, uh, yeah, if he's developed, right, he looks like, like you said, a good rotational player for, for uh, Hoiberg and his system. Let's talk about some of the early season rotations, and I want to start with the big man rotation. And on that front, I do want to start with Jabari Parker. His offense has been there, but not particularly efficient. And on the defensive end, in terms of the sort of not top 10 play kind of stuff, Jabari Parker might lead the league in terms of egregious defensive lapses. And... It looked like, in many ways, the Bulls were going to be his best chance for a revival after a few up-and-down years in Milwaukee. So far this year, it doesn't look like his offense has been worth playing him on the defensive end where he's going to hurt you every minute he's out there on the floor. Yeah, uh, the the knock on his game, the knock that's been on his game for quite some time is his lack of defense. Uh whether, like you said, it's the egregious plays, the lack thereof, the effort, just not being aggressive, uh, not being physical. And you're right. The Bulls seem like it'd be the final step for him to kind of rejuvenate his career, to show people I'm back from these injuries and I'm still the player that I was, you know, on the rise to be with Milwaukee before I went down with the second ACL tear. And, um, you know, he's, he's the Chicago kid to come back home. So all the storylines lined up. And I thought the Bulls would be – it's a match made in heaven for him, you know. A little leniency. The the front office is fairly dumb at some time. So, uh, you know, he he was going to be able to stick around for a while. But I I think now they, they kind of got to trade him when the trade uh, deadline comes around to get something out of it. Uh, he pretty much wastes a lot of money for a one-year rental. To, for one year experiment and it's not going well it's just really not uh his offense is has been okay hasn't been where you thought it would be you thought he'd be averaging about you know i look at the stats right now but I, I thought he'd be up there with zach levine kind of be a two-headed monster until larry larry gets back and they would kind of have a you know a big three if that's what you actually want to call it but yeah it's uh two steps forward and five steps backwards for him. And it just looks like it's it's not going to work out long-term and it's not going to come to fruition. I really had high hopes for him. But, yeah, the defense, just uh, the non-commitment to, to getting better on that end is really hurting him because his offense is nowhere near the, the point to where it's overshadowing the deficiencies in the defense. So we talked earlier about Wendell Carter Jr. and his surprisingly solid defense around the rim so far this season. And that's come mostly at the expense of Robin Lopez's minutes. And I am a bit surprised that Robin Lopez is still only around 15, 16 minutes a game, given that he's the only seven-footer on this roster. Well, other than Lowry, who's been out the entire season, but it seems like the Bulls really are comfortable in running with a smaller big man sort of combo power forward slash center in Carter instead of giving those minutes to Robin Lopez. Do you think that's maybe something that's worth changing, especially maybe in tandem with a role reduction from Jabari Parker? Yeah, um, 
I mean, I, I could see that. Uh, the the funny thing with Lopez, like you say, is uh, men's continue to decline, and I don't know if they have they weren't able to find a suitor or just what. But I thought that he'd be he'd be somebody to stick around for the for the veteran presence. But at this point, I kind of feel bad for Lopez and kind of you know like to see him move him just because he's such a fan favorite. And I mean, he actually provides a lot of you know. Not just being a fan favorite, being a bet on that bench, he still has a lot left in the tank. I mean, one of their most fit, more efficient scores of the last couple seasons has been Robin Lopez and the things he's been able to do around the offensive, uh, offensive glass uh, defense, and, and just like scoring at times. So uh, yeah, um, that that would be interesting though. I'd, I'd like to see how that works out too. And the other injured Bulls big man that we haven't discussed yet. Bobby Portis has only played four games so far this year. He's missed a bunch of time with a sprained MCL. I think it's even more shocking that Lopez has played as little as he's played, given that both Portis and Markinen are out. But I think Portis could really work as a third big man in a rotation headlined by Carter and Markinen. And I think it'll also be interesting to monitor what Jabari Parker's minutes look like when either, but both of Markinen and Portis are back in the lineup. Yeah, with the uh, the ability to do that, like you can say you can uh, you can force teams to go small, and you, you got a little bit of a faster lineup when you're able to do that. If you had a, a Markin and Portis and Carter lineup in there, and you kind of do like what the Warriors uh, do, like kind of make you go small, and that's what that's what Ho- Hoy Ball is trying to essentially get to. Like, there's there's no no secret of what Hoy Ball uh, what he what he wants it to be. So yeah, I, I could see that lineup. Uh, um, interesting, Bobby Portis. Um, his shot has developed more, so he can be that the small stretch four in there, um, a big uh, stretch three. But he can't really guard a lot of the the good threes in the league. I mean, defense isn't horrible; actually, pretty good. But uh, yeah, they the Bulls' best lineups. I mean, uh, Zach Levine, Justin Holiday, one of the top lineups in the league. Five in rotation. Uh, Wendell Carter. Chris Dunn and Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis has always been somebody that's that's been a kind of glue in these young Bulls lineups. I mean, the crazy eyes. I mean, Bobby Portis, he, he really has, though. For everything that – for all the blunders that he had early on in his career and the things that happened with the whole Nikola Meritic and everything else uh, that surrounded that, like, Portis has been the guy as far as – he's been a guy that, that has shown every year that of his value. So you mentioned Justin Holiday and – Let's use that as a springboard to transition into talking about the wings and guards. And let's actually start with Holiday. It's funny because you could argue that he's actually the third most heralded brother in the Holiday family, with Aaron Holiday being a recent first-round draft pick starting for the Indiana Pacers, and obviously Drew Holiday being an all-star in Philadelphia and being all-star caliber the last couple seasons in New Orleans. But... Justin Holiday is the kind of player where I think he would fit in on pretty much every playoff roster in the league as sort of a more minimal minutes player, but he's been solid for the Bulls in a starting role this year. He's shooting 40% from three-point range on seven and a half attempts per game. He's an excellent floor spacer. He's not as good as his brother Drew on the defensive end, but he's certainly solid there, and he barely ever turns the ball over. I mean, he's playing almost 35 minutes a game and is averaging 0.7 turnovers per contest. I mean, he is one of the players in the league that 
knows what he's good at and knows what he isn't good at and is very good at maximizing his strengths and sort of running away from his weak points. And that's the kind of player that can fit in on any team. But I think especially for a young team like the Bulls, it's really important to have that sort of stabilizing presence, especially since he's the only person on this roster other than Robin Lopez, who was 27 or older to start the season. Yeah, uh, the Justin Holiday glow up, as I would say, just from last year to, to this season. Yeah, love for him to be a little bit stingier on defense like his brother Drew and, and to be that type of player. But not to knock the guy, he's he's had a – he's really uh, grown on me. There so many times I've seen him the last couple of seasons, like he's made some questionable moments – in in games, it seems at times he can even go to a little hero ball and just like, you know, a little me and and, and just like in his own world, just chucking up shots. But you're right, uh, this year, a uh, much more efficient scorer, uh, sh- shooting around uh, 40% from behind three. He's a 41% uh, percent f- uh, shooter from the field right now. And he has, he's, he's gotten much better uh, from last year to this year. He's scoring around the same amount of points, but like what you said, the biggest thing is the efficiency. And even with the amount of minutes he's playing and the usage that he, that he has right now, 0.7 turnovers a game. I mean, not just maybe one turnover right now. So uh, much better performance from him early on and something that they can build upon. I mean, like, this is a guy that really kind of has grown drastically. And I don't know if it's more of a buying into what, what Hoiberg and his system, what he's trying to do, or just uh, the amount of years he's been in the league now, it's just finally coming together. Ryan Archidiakono is playing more in part because Chris Dunn has been out for all but one game this year. What have you seen from Ryan so far? So we talked earlier about Ryan Archidiakono yeah, um, I like what I've seen so far. You know, he, he spent a lot of time in the G League, and he's in his second year, and there's a kid that came from a championship team in college. So we already know he knows how to win. Uh, we already know he's coached pretty well by Coach Jay Wright at Villanova. I mean, he hit, he hit big shot after big shot in that tournament. So we've, we've seen what uh, Archidiacono – can do as far as like pressure and where he's came from. Like what you said, he's primarily excelled now because he's been thrust into the role, getting more minutes because of the Chris Dunn injury. Not only that, he's shown the front office and thank God finally that the campaign experiment can be over. Like I, I don't know where campaign fits in. At one time I was very excited about the Bulls having a young, you know, backup point guard for the future, but he just hasn't made that leap. Uh, not even the leap as, as you're comfortable that he's uh, going to be a good backup point guard. But Arch, Arch Diakono has came in this year with, with more time. We've seen more. He's been more effective. He's got true shooting percentage right now of 63.7. Uh, average about seven points a game, uh, a little bit over four assists. And also he's shooting 44% from three. Uh, the only knock – that I've seen in this game so far is his free throws. He's he's only a 66% free throw uh, shooter. So that's got to change, especially if he wants some longevity in this league and gets more playing time. But as far as being a backup uh, point guard for the Bulls for the future, looks like he's cemented the spot. And 
I got a lot of confidence in him. I think the Bulls, uh, they've developed him right, and it looks like he's going to be a guy. He's not going to wow you with athleticism or anything like that, but he's a, he's going to be the gritty guy. He's going to work hard, and hopefully he's going to work hard in the gym. They talked about that he's the first one in the gym, last one out. So he has that mentality of, of a dog, and he wants to be better. So confident in him, and who knows? Maybe he can excel. I mean, if Chris Dunn continues to get injured, you, you got to go. You got to move on somewhere. Whether that's going to be uh, with Ryan Archdiakono long term, I doubt that. But I think he can be a solid point guard for the Bulls, and as long as they de- keep developing him, uh, he can be a key role player for this young team. Let's talk about the other undrafted second year guard for the Bulls, Antonio Blakeney. He's already almost exceeded his minute total from last season in his first 17 games of this season. And if Justin Holiday has been pretty hot from deep lately, Antonio Blakeney has been on fire. And especially with Markin and out, the Bulls need as much offense as they could possibly get around Zach Levine. And it's certainly not in line with the play that we saw from him down the stretch of last season. But so far this year, he's been really something on the offensive end. Yeah, uh, like what you said uh, about Blakeney, he, he really has been um, on the offensive end. He, he's just been kind of lights out. I mean, he's had looking about eight to nine games this season where he's shot 40, 40% or better from behind the line. And in most of those games, he's shooting 50% or better. So, I mean, he, he's had uh, – he's really come into a role quickly, like, like what you said, second-year player. And uh, – the one, if not the best three-point uh, contributor on this team, I believe, uh, like I said, one of the better uh, improvements and interesting storylines uh, to follow right now. Uh, really is a, a a good young, young and up-and-coming uh, two-guard in this league. And as long as he can go out and continue to get the minutes that they're giving him right now and capitalize on that, he's a guy that can uh, – He'll be he'll be much better than just you know he'll he'll be a name that people will be watching in the next couple of years. Give him you know four years in this league, and he really could take it by surprise if he continues to get the time. So I'm not sure that he has it in him to be a full time starter, and maybe I'm just not as optimistic. But I think he can be a really solid six man, yeah, or early playing bench player, one of the first guys off the bench. I mean, he's got the kind of scoring punch that you want out of that sort of traditional six-man role, even if maybe his vision isn't quite there, maybe his secondary skills, you know, defense, rebounding, any of that, not quite there. But he's certainly got the talent to be a really solid scorer for a long time. And even when you're talking about a team that needs as much star-level talent as they can get, it's still helpful to have those guys who can be really solid contributors off the bench. And I think he can definitely do that if this season is more indicative of his future than his play down the stretch last year. Yeah, it's funny that you say the whole six man, because when I was just going on and on about him, uh, just really like, you know, trying to talk about his potential. First thing that came to mind was, I mean, like you say, just the, the knockdown scoring that he can give you. I mean, it's Jamal Crawford. Uh, I don't know if like, he looks like, to me, he has like the a similar build and just you know the way. He, now he's no Jamal Crawford. Like Jamal Crawford's, he'll go down in the Hall of Fame, one of the best uh, six men, if not the best ever. He has the awards to prove it. But yeah, Blakeney could he could be in that same. He could uh, inspire to be that type of person. 
and I'm with you. I don't, I don't think that he necessarily could be an everyday starter and maybe a star in this league, but I'd say by the, by his fourth year in the league, we'll know. And he could be on the trend, especially with like, you know, how good this, this bull t- Bulls team gets. Um, that's going to depend on a lot of these guys' uh, progression is, yeah, like, it's how good how good is this team? Because it's so tough for these guys to develop when they're losing. That's the tough part. So, uh, yeah, with Blakeney, I, I think he could aspire into that role, and hopefully he does. So you mentioned progression, and the most important thing to talk about with a young developing team like this is the future outlook, which certainly for the last decade, it's been nothing but future outlook for my team. So let's start out on that front by going into a little more depth about the marketing Wendell Carter fit. With marketing, you're going to get all the spacing that you need out of the big man slots. But I think it'll be really helpful for Carter to at least be around league average from three-point range because if he's league average from three-point range, that opens up so much more space for everybody else because if he's going to play center most of the time like he has been so far this season, him just being respectable from beyond the arc will draw out opposing big men in a way that isn't going to happen if he stays around the 28% range that he's at now. But if he can get to that sort of league average rate. Carter's, I think, an underrated passer just because his defensive acumen at this point in his career is really surprising for someone so young. But if Markinen and Carter can sort of figure out the two-man game between them with Zach Levine running around them being the primary scorer, that could be really dangerous in a couple of years. Oh, I mean, they, they could be nasty. Uh like like you said, if they can get this two man game down, I mean, I don't know, I'm, and I'm throwing out some comparisons here, but I mean, it it could be like a the way Vladi and uh, Chris Weber were able to spread the floor when the Kings started kind of like up in the pace back whenever they had the team that they had with Bibby. I mean, even the years with Jason Williams, how they were able to play that two man game, Vladi Divac and Chris Weber. I mean, I look at how Alonzo Mourning and, and uh, Larry Johnson played so well together. Like, like this could be a ma- – and, and now we're adding in spacing the floor for Wendell Carter to be uh, a, a potential three-point threat. And like you said, not even a threat, just get to the league average. So, like, there's – like, if it all plays out, like what you're saying, like how I'm thinking too and what, what fans want with that coach, like this is what uh, Hoyball – this is what it would be built around and what he would love to do. So, yeah, it – if if Carter can be respected and he can stretch the floor, I mean, you're talking at not in the same, even same hemisphere, but you're looking at like how DeMarcus Cousins and, and AD were able to play when both of them able to spread the floor and also, you know, go inside if, if one of them needs to and play the little high-low game and, and play the two-man game. So, yeah, the the the, the possibilities are endless. They, they really are. It's going to take a lot of commitment, a lot of uh, – you know, development for both of these guys. I think what it really comes down to on that front is just if Carter can continue to develop as a passer, because really given the current Bulls core, I mean, Chris Dunn is a solid passer for the point guard position. Zach Levine is a decent passer for his position, but he's still going to be looking to score first, even though he's been a much better distributor this year than he's been in the past. I think it'll be really important for the Bulls to get Carter to be sort of the offensive hub 
you mentioned Chris Weber, and I think the most underrated skill of Weber's was just how incredible he was as a passer because when you're a big man who can draw the kind of attention that Markkanen can, it's really helpful to have the other person in that partnership be someone who can distribute the ball well and not only be able to play the two-man game with Markkanen, but find Zach Levine open, find Justin Holiday open on spot-ups, that sort of thing. And given that I think Carter's arguably already a better passer than Markkanen, I think it'll be really important for him to develop that part of the that part of his game to sort of spread the ball around more. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, yeah, Weber, and when, when you talk about Chris Weber, I mean, kind of like uh, he didn't revolutionize the game. I mean, there were, there were guys that were already before him that were big men that, that could pass very well, but he was one of the guys um, that kind of, you know, these guys now that they got, they grew up like looking to, I mean, that Kings team was amazing. Uh, you, you know this, you're a Kings fan. Uh, but also, um, I mean, like look at what Jokic, what, what the Joker's doing out, out in Denver. So, yeah, it's beneficial for him to be able to do that. Like you're talking about hitting Levine on cuts or like, you know, being able to see the entire floor once his passing gets to that level and how much it will spread not only for him and marketing in a two-man game, but every other player out there that could benefit from it as well. We've talked mostly about positives for this Bulls team, and I try and keep these podcasts as positive as possible, but – Let's get real here for a minute. What do you think the Bulls' chances are of getting a top five pick? Because I think that they're going to be somewhere in the fifth worst to eighth worst range by the end of the season. And if they can get into the top five or maybe even the top three, that could be the difference between getting a role player to sort of fit around their current guys versus getting one of the Duke forwards. And man, if you imagine RJ Barrett or Zion Williamson on this team with the other pieces they've got, I mean, Zion might not be as good of a fit because I think he's probably more of a four long-term and arguably the two best young players on the Bulls are both best suited to play the four. But if you add RJ Barrett or Cam Reddish to this Bulls team, that's going to be so much of a leap as compared to getting someone sort of in the mid lottery range, like the Quentin Grimes. Yeah. I mean, uh, according to the tankathon at tankathon.com, I always check this uh, weekly. I mean, the bulls are right there in the mix for the top five, uh, worst, uh, records in the league. We got, we got the bulls at four and 13, then the Knicks four and 14 Phoenix, Dave, uh, three and 13 Atlanta, three and 14 and then Cleveland with the worst record two and 13. So, uh, I mean, the tank is on. It looks like again, and that, well, that's surprising to me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe when Laurie comes back, they, they go on a little bit of a run. We saw that last season when Miritich came back, they went on the run, but they quickly shut that down. I mean, they were one of the best teams in December. They had a really good December and, uh, were, were kind of rolling on all cylinders and they started like, you know, they, they got Miritich out pretty quick and kind of, uh, dropped people's minutes, but the Bulls have lost four in a row now. And so it looks like, yeah, they're going to be in the thick of this. And looks like they want to be, but they they could be pushed out just a little bit out of that top five slot because you got Washington now. It looks like they're about to blow it up. Uh, Miami could be making some some uh, trades. They might be getting Josh Richardson out of there. He's he's very attractive to so many teams right now. But the Bulls, I mean, at the end of last season, I had high expectations. I mean, I, I want to say their over under was like twenty seven wins or something. I thought they could do that in this east in this Eastern Conference this year. But clearly still not anywhere where they need to be um, 
don't know. I don't know if that all falls on coaching. Like sometimes, yeah, it, it does. Like Hoiberg, his his game management is not the best. But at the same time, like they're they're, they're trying to lose. Like they're tanking for one more year. It does seem. So my long answer that I'm giving you right here to make a long story short. Yeah, I think that they're in a pretty good position to get one of those top five. I would love it. I would love a Zion. Uh, of course, I would love a Zion Williamson. And you say, yeah, the Bulls' best players are in that four spot. He's probably four long term. Maybe he can progress to a three. But if you if you if the Bulls stay in this position, we're talking about some pretty good trade trade uh, bait too. I I think you know looking at some of the the guys who are coming out in this draft, they might be in a prime position to really get somebody to kind of you know, glue everything together and get them over there, over that hump and get them back to the playoffs. So there's a lot of appeal to for them falling as far as they can fall. Obviously, they fall in the top three. They're, they're going to keep one of those picks, I would think. But it might be something to think about with where, where they are right now as far as the development of their players and, you know, where they're, where they're wanting to go and who they're wanting to build around. They might trade an exceptional lottery pick. So who knows? It's obviously early to try and judge this, but so far in terms of this upcoming draft class, it looks like the top three or four are sort of another tier above the remainder of that draft. And sort of on a similar note to whether or not the Bulls are going to get a top five pick, I want to get your thoughts on what you think their record's going to be toward the end of the year. My guess is that they end up somewhere in the 25 to 30 win range and end up I'd say fifth or sixth in the draft order before the lottery, just because I think that getting Chris Dunn back and Lowry Markinen back is going to take them from where they currently are, which is battling for one of the worst spots in the league versus where I think they'll be once those two guys are healthy, which is not the worst of the worst, you know, maybe the next level up from that. But I think that by the end of the year, it's going to, it's going to become pretty clear that Phoenix, Cleveland, and Atlanta are significantly worse than Chicago. Yeah, um, I think New York is going to surpass Chicago. They're going to be better as the end of the year gets here. Uh, Washington's only going to be worse if they blow it all up. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, Cleveland, Atlanta, Phoenix, they, they should be still in the thick of uh, fighting for that number one pick. I mean, when they when those guys come back, I, I think that you're you're pretty spot on. Like I said, uh, their 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 total at the beginning of the season was under thirty. I told countless people like that's easy money. Like take that for sure. Uh, they went they won twenty seven games, but uh, they were they're very close. So I was like, yeah, that, that's easy. Uh, I'm still nervous about that. Uh, at times, it's it it seems like no, nah, there's no way that they're going to win over uh, <laughs> thirty games at all. But you're right. Once Morgan comes back, once Dunn comes back. Uh, this team should be not only they're going to be a better team to watch, uh, pretty going to be a pretty interesting league pass team. Like they're going to have some good games, some high scoring games. Uh, as far as a like, pace, they're one of the uh, better paced, obviously paced teams. So yeah, uh, it, it seems like that when those guys come back, they should be around there, thirty to thirty five wins, maybe maybe a little bit less, but somewhere around that. So I would I would put them in between the 30 to 35 ranges right now from what I've seen. So before we wrap up, let's talk about the elephant in the room with this Bulls team, which is how good of a coach is Fred Hoiberg or 
I mean, I think more reasonably how mediocre slash bad of a coach is Fred <laughs> Hoiberg, because on the one hand, especially during the back half of their playoff runs earlier in this decade, I think they underperformed certainly with Hoiberg as the head guy. And obviously they have not been all that great the last couple of years. On the other hand, he's never had a roster that fits with his coaching style. And I think once Mark and is healthy and now that Zach Levine is back and fully healthy, I don't think this year's team is going to be the closest he's going to get, but if he lasts to next season and they pick up someone in the draft who can space the floor, I think that's going to be the closest we're going to get to seeing Hoiberg get a fair shake because on the one hand, he has been disappointing so far as an NBA coach, but on the other hand, he's never had a roster that's come anywhere close to the kind of coaching style that he was good at when he was at Iowa State. And a lot of the blame for that has got to fall on Garpax, even though they've had solid draft picks the last couple of years. A lot of the problems with this Bulls roster came out of how they sort of handled the prime years of this team earlier this decade. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, it's it's so tough to to gauge Hoiberg and his and give him like a grade as a coach so far. I've I've been up and down on on, on him back and forth. He's such a talented coach at Iowa State. Uh, I still think to an extent uh, he he was given the the opportunity maybe. A couple years too early. I think he might have benefited from two more years as head coach in the college game before he made the jump. But hey, the Bulls came calling, former team, um, all that. He was inspired to be NBA head coach. Uh, his first couple seasons, he does well, but he still has the superstar talent on the team. So the best way to gauge it and and to assess what he's doing is is what you said. Uh, as far as the young talent, I think he has developed these guys uh, very well so far for what he's been given. And that's why it's tough to really just like, ah, oh, Hoiberg's not living up to it. He's mediocre. And he has been mediocre. He has. He's, he's vanilla a lot. Very vanilla. But he hasn't been given his guys that he was promised or, you know, he hasn't been given the guys that fit his philosophy, his uh, scheme. So as they have year to year have uh, gotten, you know, been able to get some of those guys in pace and space. You know, you want to play a hoy ball. You want to, you know, pace and space. He, he wants to get out. They've looked better in spurts. And when everybody's kind of playing hoy ball and, and like, you know, you're, you're at full strip, but he's also had the, the bad uh, pill where like, you know, guys have, you know, the injuries, Mark and Chris Dunn, the repeated injuries. So you can't really tell yet. I think that uh, you'll know a lot after next season. I think he gets one more year to kind of, you know, see where see where he's at. Uh, with, hopefully, with a full strength roster, and they get a couple more guys. Maybe they can lure some guys in free agency coming up, and just some other guys in the draft. And and you'll see more development from marketing from from Carter to the next year. Levine. I mean, uh, Zach Levine might be an all star this year, so there's no telling where he could be next season. So I think he for sure gets one more season just to fully assess and give him the fair shake. But it, it is tough because they really haven't gotten the guys. I mean, he needs a lot of guys. Think about it, they can stress the floor and shoot the three. Uh, they don't really have those guys on this roster. So it's tough in that aspect. But I think he gets one more year. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up here? 
I think that's it, man. I think we fully like, you know, we, we've uh, dove into it, talked about, you know, the future, the potential. So this team, uh, not pretty at all a lot, but uh, a pretty fun team to watch when, when everybody, when Morgan gets back, Chris Dunn gets back, you see them playing with Levine and Carter together. I watched the, the maturation of Hutchison and Arch Diacono. It'll be a pretty fun, uh, fun league, league pass team to watch. And going forward, that would be a, a, a team to watch in the league as, as far as their development because everybody knows how bad they are right now and where they're at. So give them some time, and if they get the players that Hoiberg needs in his system, the Bulls, they could be back in the playoffs as early as next season and, and could be a team as far as the cliche trusting the process like with the Sixers. They could be on that route. They don't have a Joel Embiid. They don't have a Ben Simmons, but they got Zach Levine. They got some other guys that they're trying to – you know, really turn into stars in this league or just, you know, guys, names that people know on a, on a uh, consistent basis. And especially if they do end up towards the top portion of the draft this upcoming year, they could really have a chance at that superstar that they need to yeah. kick their rebuild into overdrive. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, he is Chance Collins. You can find him on Twitter at Chance the Blogger. C-H-A-N-C-E-D-A-B-L-O-G-G-E-R. And you can also find his work on the Hashtag Basketball website. You can find my work on the Hashtag Basketball website as well. And can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on your podcast player of choice. And if you have any feedback about future episodes, about the episodes we've been doing, please feel free to reach out to me via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.